0: Good morning it's Wednesday the 31st of January and this is Govindraj Ethiraj coming to you from Mumbai the financial capital of India Hang on it's 31st of January the last day of the first month of 2024 Isn't time flying and all of that well let's move on quickly to the top stories and themes for the day The stock markets fail to hold on to gains earnings and budget new triggers The IMF raises India's growth projection to 6.5% for the year beyond still below Indian government estimates which part of Reliance Industries are investors actually buying into? Oil prices are below $82 a barrel despite Saudi Arabia suspending capacity expansion and tensions in the Red Sea. Sony's breakup with Z has lessons that are common to other corporate actions as well. India's poorest 20% households saw income levels shrink 16% from 2015-16, says New Survey.
1: This is a core report with
2: Govindraj Atyaraj.
0: A too good to be true rally pauses and reverses gains. A 1,200 point plus rally on Monday was almost too good to be believed. Markets fell on Tuesday as there were no broader bullish indicators, at least domestic ones, though Wall Street closed on highs on Monday night. The S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average hit new highs yet again on Monday, their sixth record close of 2024. Wall Street is now looking for signals from earnings, including of the big tech companies who have performed quite spectacularly in recent months on the bosses. Back home on Tuesday, the Sensex fell 802 points to end at 71,140, while the Nifty 50 fell 216 points to settle at 21,522. Amongst interesting market news, Tata Motors has overtaken Maruti Suzuki as the most valuable company in India stock markets. Now, this becomes interesting because Maruti is obviously a much larger domestic company at almost 41% market share, while Tata Motors has a 15% market share. But Tata Motors owns Jaguar Land Rover, which has been doing well, as has been the domestic auto business, including electric vehicles, in which Tata Motors has more than a 70% market share. Tata Motors also hit a 52-week high of 886 rupees on the Bombay Stock Exchange. Now, the market cap of Tata Motors and the Tata Motors differential voting rights shares had crossed Maruti Suzuki on Monday. IMF raises India growth projections. Meanwhile, in macro news, the International Monetary Fund, or IMF, has raised its 24-25 GDP growth forecast for India by 20 basis points to 6.5%, though its projections are still behind that of Indian government estimates. At 6.5%, the agency's revised growth forecast for next year is 20 basis points lower than its estimate of 6.7% for 23 24 Similarly the fund has raised its growth forecast for 2526 that's the year after next by 20 basis points to 6.5%. Growth in India is projected to remain strong at 6.5% in both 24 and 25 with an upgrade from October of 0.2 percentage points for both years reflecting resilience in domestic demand the IMF said on January 30th in its update to its world economic outlook report. Now all of this obviously comes a day ahead of the interim budget to be announced on the 1st of February. That's Thursday this week. Which part of Reliance Industries are you buying in? Meanwhile, on Monday, as we pointed out yesterday as well, Reliance Industries hit a record high and also had one of its best days in the market in terms of a single-day rise in many years. On Tuesday, the stock price receded somewhat, but the fact is that the market's attention is on Reliance Industries. The stock has otherwise been moving in a somewhat fixed band for close to two years, till Monday that is. So if you track Reliance and its businesses very carefully, then you might not discover anything new. But if you don't, it's always interesting to see which part of Reliance is interesting and to whom. Remember, this is a textiles to petrochemicals to oil to telecom and retail conglomerate or as it's broadly referred to an oils to chemical company. So which part of Reliance is driving stock interest right now? Is it the fact that oil prices for refined products have gone up? Remember, Reliance is a big exporter and we will come to some of that in a little bit. Or is it a larger play on retail and telecom? Or is it something else? I reached out to Reliance tracker and some ways student of the stock, Sushil Choksi of Indus Equity Advisors. And I, of course, began by asking him what powered Reliance on Monday before coming to what in his mind lay ahead.
2: Basically... Reliance is a story which is India's story. That is, if you want to play India and you want an industrial and a consumer play, that's a proxy like an Indian bank like SBI or HDFC or you want a total consumer play. Reliance gives you three verticals today as financial is already hived off and it's separately listed. But when you buy Reliance, you get the basic foundation of a company which started with petrochemical, oil to gas textile, gas production, which is the main cash flow of the company. The new division which have emerged in the last 10 years, which is retail play with 18,000 stores. And you get a telecom with almost 45 crore consumer base. So now these three verticals are the main play if you look at consolidated reliance. And if you look at the fourth division which is emerging is the hydrogen and solar play, which is going to be fully integrated. And it is clearly indicated that reliance is targeting the aspiration of Mukesh Ambani of $1.00 per kg on hydrogen. And as per the new PLI scheme, when they've got the maximum awards for electrolyzer and other manufacturing, I don't get into too much technicality, but he's almost below two towards 1.5. So when you're looking at Pan India story for a retail footfall, a consumption in a retail play, you're looking at telecom, well supported by cash flow, which is driven by the old Business, which is mainly 2% of the world's crude, which is refined here. And they are among the top five in all the petrochemicals they produce over the last two decades.
0: Right. So two questions. So one is, all of this has been there for, let's say, at least a year, if not longer. So what explains the spike now? Because the stock has been pretty range bound in, I think, for almost two years now. The second part is, the current spike more to do with what's happening in the oil space, which is obviously prices are rising because of uncertainty in Red Sea, refining margins are rising and so on.
2: See, current, there are two events which we need to look at, that global looking at India, that next government will be a stable government led by BJP and Prime Minister Modi. And the uncertainty over election was over with the state election in November, December, results. And currently, whatever political flip-flop what is happening is cementing that BJP may consolidate with a larger number. Now, nobody wants to wait for election results. One is certain whether it will be 325, 350, 400, all speculation go on. But if you want to make an India play and a story which may give you a lot of positivity and which has not run up a lot in the market in last one year. In fact, post-COVID when they got all the PEs in June, July and they did the subscription. After that, if you look at Reliance has been a range of 2250, to to 2900. Pre-demerger of Geo Financial, which happened in the previous year, 2023. Reliance is consolidated and people are happy that if I own Reliance today, whether it takes two quarters, two months or two years, you may own up three companies, which is the old petrochemical company, starting from textile to fiber, ingredients and all plastics and refinery which is one of the largest refined in the world, producing 72 million tons to 80 million tons of throughput. The other side, you may get the retail company. Third is geo Telecom. And one doesn't know whether Reliance incubates the fourth company in the solar and hydrogen as a separate entity or remains with petrochem. So you're saying the
0: new play for investors is owning stock in three or four entities which could get demerged which may happen soon. Is that what you're saying? As opposed to, let's say earlier, which was buying the whole consolidated entity.
2: Yes. So if you refer back to Mukesh Ambani's AGM statement or Ivan Gujarat, whichever statement you look at, he's clearly seeing that the consumer play and profitability, which he'll emerge from there, would become the major part of Reliance. Whether it happens in one quarter, two quarter, one year, that is only a time to speak up. But I think it is only a one year, one and a half year story. And I suppose that by that time, Reliance would have started to decide to do the listing of all the three separate apps also. It will link to the market performance. They've already taken P.E. money in both the companies. So it is a matter of time, this three will happen.
0: Right. And what's the downside, if any, Sushil, as any investor, I'm sure you look at both upsides and downsides.
2: See, if there are any global challenges led by political turmoil war or anything else, I suppose the recent laws is difficult to pierce, so the range can be 23 2500 based on the market performance or there is outflow or there is some trouble in the Middle East or a global war or Israel-Hamas, some we don't know if oil is up to 100 what government did a decision. The mandate is popular for India consumption, sorry with the new government coming, government is likely to spend more on infra. India's GDP would be to 5 trillion, 7 trillion depending on which year we look at. If per capita consumption of twenty five dollars 3000 dollars moves to $5,000, we know that when that happens, what kind of consumption happens in India on all aspects of businesses, from a consumption to hotel to airline everywhere. So it is an India story, but one needs to watch out what global. If India's PE shrinks, reliance also will be hit. But it will be to a lesser degree compared to the market what is flying high on many stocks which doesn't deserve today's performance in terms of market price. So. As market climbs higher, you would move to safer bets. So Reliance would fit as one of the candidates with a reasonable percentage of the portfolio to be held in. And that seems to have happened
0: across the board in the last two months. I think with you know this whole stress on large caps and so on.
2: I think people are expecting that 2024 Reliance, not Reliance but market, uh, specifically the top hundred stocks, would attract a lot of FI money. So far, it has not happened. In fact, right now there is reverse the domestic investor which is subscribing to Mutual Fund is lapping up most of the supplies. Will FI revert and come back to India? Yes, sooner or later. But how soon one doesn't know? And India's story is becoming like retail investor story in Taiwan or many other countries where domestic investors have headed the market and that's topping up the market. And it will continue like that for some time to come because the base is becoming larger. And once you've tasted the profit, I think exit doesn't happen fast. And for that, you need an event which hope we don't face because that's for India's prospects, not an individual's prospects. Right. Sushil, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks a lot.
0: Oil prices fall against odds. And our energy segment brought to you by India Energy Week. Crude oil has fallen below $82 a barrel, pointing to an increasing demand problem rather than a supply problem arising out of either production cuts or problems of transporting it through the Red Sea and the attendant risks. Meanwhile, Bloomberg is reporting that Saudi oil giant Saudi Aramco has abandoned a plan to boost its oil output capacity. The news agency said that this was a surprise move, which came after the world's biggest oil exporter had said in November that it was progressing very well with a multi-billion dollar project to boost capacity to 13 million barrels a day by 2027, as demand from China and India continue to grow. Saudi Arabia currently has capacity for about 12 million barrels and is producing about 9 million barrels a day. The lower production obviously aimed at managing prices in its favor. Saudi Aramco is meanwhile expanding its natural gas, chemicals and renewables, Bloomberg said, adding these businesses are likely to get a share of the money saved from that oil capacity expansion outlay. Bloomberg Economics also estimates that Saudi Arabia needs an oil price of $108 a barrel to balance its budget and meet domestic spending by its sovereign wealth fund. Back home, India's exports of low-sulfur diesel to Europe are poised to hit a fresh two-year low in January after an unprecedented high last month as Red Sea security risks drive up freight costs, according to Reuters. Volumes have so far declined by some 80% month-on-month, Reuters said, quoting data from Kepler, LSEG, and Vortexa. Cargoes loading from India typically sail to Europe via the Bab al-Mandeb Strait, a route that's turned dangerous after Houthi rebels in Yemen have begun firing missiles at passing ships, in turn pushing up freight costs and, of course, risks. Indian-origin exports of aviation fuel to Europe, however, have remained steady, says Reuters, with an open arbitrage window and stable demand adding that prompt jet fuel swap prices are trading at at least $3 a barrel above diesel. That was our energy segment brought to you by India Energy Week that starts next month on February 6th. And for more details, log on to www.IndiaEnergyWeek.com. Steel imports hit a five-year high. Elsewhere, India's steel imports touched a five year high in the first nine months of the current financial year to December. That's nine months, turning the country into a net importer of finished steel, according to data seen by Reuters on Tuesday. India imported about 5.6 million tons of finished steel between April and December. That's up 26% from a year earlier. And this is attributed mostly to increased economic activity and infrastructure. India is the world's second biggest crude steel producer, and that rose 15% to a six year high of 100 million tons in that same period. Now, the domestic steel industry is not happy with these imports and has been calling for curbs on dumping. Now, that steel being imported did not necessarily go to LNT or Larsen and Toubro's infrastructure projects. Of course, to draw that correlation may not be completely fair. However, L&T did report lower third-quarter profit below estimates on Tuesday, and it is a fact that government spending on infrastructure is slowing down ahead of elections. The company reported consolidated net profits of about 2,947 crore rupees for the quarter ended 31st December, compared to analyst estimates of about 3,300 crores, according to LSEG data reported by Reuters. Sony's scrapping of its $10 billion merger with Z has more lessons. Sony scrapped a merger with Z because the latter failed to meet some financial terms of the deal and come up with a plan to address them according to a termination notice from Sony, reviewed or viewed by Reuters. Now, Z has denied those allegations in a letter to Sony, which also slapped a $90 million termination fee and accused the Japanese company of bad faith in calling off that merger. Reuters says that Sony... Z merger in India would have created a media powerhouse in the world's most populous nation with 90 plus channels across sports, entertainment, and news. Now, without getting into details, Sony's concerns seem normal in the case of any such merger. The acquirer company would obviously want full indemnity in case any past case or cases were to come back and haunt the new entity. Remember, there was a Securities and Exchange Board of India investigation into fund diversion by the promoters of the company. Now, the money obviously went from the company, which is Z and would thus have been the subject of some form of investigation or inquiry, all of which could come back to haunt the new entity in some form shape. It is hard to imagine any acquirer ignoring the goings-on of the last year or two, from a regulatory aspect that is. Even if that were not the case, Sony's notice said Z apparently failed to take commercially reasonable efforts to meet some financial thresholds, including with regards to cash availability. Now this, of course, may not be entirely Z's fault because in this period, The markets may have turned. When I say the market, I mean the market for entertainment and other things could have gone all right. Elsewhere, to switch gears for a moment, education company Baiju has now reportedly got board approval to raise around $200 million at a valuation of about $250 million, which is roughly 1% of its last fundraise of, hold your breath, $22 billion. All of this is, of course, according to reports. Now, the issue is not the valuation, but the number of federal cases pending against the company, including for fund diversion by the Enforcement Directorate. In November last year, the ED had said it had issued show cause notices to the company and its founder over an alleged violation of about 9,600 crore rupees under the Foreign Exchange Management Act. And in April, the company's office was also raided. So the point is not to presume whether Baiju is guilty of anything except destroying private shareholder wealth, which really is a problem and concern for those private shareholders only and no one else, but how any investor could increase his or her shareholding in a company which is still to extricate itself from all these cases. Remember, all three board members in Baidu's in June last year resigned and walked or ran away from roughly $5 billion of their investments in the company. This, in my mind... Either has never happened or is extremely unusual because when investors put that kind of money, they usually stay on and fix things or at least try. And so did the auditor run away, I mean. Coming back to Z, its shares have fallen about 30% since the deal collapsed. And Sony and its termination notice, as reported by Reuters, said that Z's cash position was about 476 crore rupees as of September 30th, saying that that was much below the requirements of the merger agreement. So, what you're seeing in this Breakdown between Z and Sony is perhaps the most public face of how deals collapse and a good insight into what could go wrong, even if in other cases, no one is saying it. India's poor are worse off than eight years ago. Study. Here is the good news. Average household income in India has increased around 12% since the COVID pandemic-induced fall, with the poorest seeing an over 75%, a new survey has estimated. Average annual household income increased to over 3.6 lakh rupees or 360,000 rupees per annum in 22 23 But… For the poor, it only rose to 1,14,000, which was 16% below the 2015-16 level of 1,37,000, according to a survey by private economic think tank People research on India's consumer economy or price. Post-pandemic, the poorest 20% households saw income levels fall almost 52% from that same 15-16 level, according to the survey. Income levels in what price classifies as upper-middle and rich segments not only did not fall due to COVID but actually increased, something that we all know anecdotally and otherwise, pointing out to how lower-income segments are more vulnerable to such shocks, the survey said. The pandemic also resulted in the gap between the richest and the poorest 20%, widening from 3.8 times in 1516 to 7 times in the last financial year. Interestingly, household income in rural India has climbed about 17%, to over 3.1 lakh rupees annually, as against a 7% expansion in urban areas to a little under 4.5 lakh rupees. So, going by this survey, household incomes in rural India have increased more than they have in urban India. Now, there is much more to the survey, which highlights the growing prosperity and the disparities, and the fact that the most affected are those in casual labor, petty traders, that's hawkers and street vendors, artisans, and domestic workers. I spoke with Price. Managing Director and CEO, Dr. Rajesh Shukla, a well-known researcher, applied statistician and author of well-known books like The Rise of India's Middle Class and How India Earns, Spends and Saves, Unmasking the Real India. And I began by asking him to tell us first about the broad survey and importantly, its composition.
1: Two actually rounds we have taken. One is in 2021, which was during the COVID and we did 2022-23. And it is national level survey where we have surveyed approximately 43,000 households across 25 states covering both rural and urban India.
0: Got it. So the key finding seems to be that the average household income overall has increased about 12% since COVID with the poorest seeing a 75% jump. Now, until here, it sounds fine. But where does it change? what we have
1: noticed during that period covid period that bottom 60 percent actually lost their income ranging from nine percent for the third quintile to 52 percent in case of first quintile miss bottom 20 percent another two years by 2020 2022 23 our data is showing significant recovery the recovery happened between two years is 75 percent. Means if you are taking the income of 2020 to 23 to 2020 during the COVID-19, period, is 75% increase actually. And if you take the 2015-16, it's still not at that level. Means if our estimate is like in 2016, it was approximately 1.37 lakh annual income per household which is in 22 to 23 it is still 1.14 lakh so one can just see that bottom 20% not reach the level of 2015 16 this is one and who are these people actually these are the people mostly 80% lives in the rural india and they are the labor category they are the petty traders they are the UK rickshaw puller in the urban areas Are the hawker so, these are the people who started actually, who lost their 50% income, but they started earning when the COVID actually get over and they again in the business. But their capability and capacity, mostly these are the labor category. Growth is happening, but absorption is not up to that level. But our recovery happened, and this is the positive news which I noticed over our recovery, but it still it will take for the bottom for a few more months or a year.
0: This poor is 20% where the gap has increased from 3.8 times in 2015-16 to 11 times in 2021. And then it narrowed again to about 7 times. So let's say currently it's 7 times. What is the size of this population roughly?
1: It is approximately you can say 20% population of the India. And the size is approximately 430 million.
0: In your understanding, is the increase in incomes that we've seen at the higher level, is there a trickle-down effect, feasible? What are the advantages? I mean, there are some obvious advantages, obviously, when incomes rise. But is there a trickle-down effect which can benefit, let's say, the bottom 20%? Or how are you seeing this 20% essentially being supported and cared for?
1: It is a trickle-down effect. Because if you look at the share of top 20%, was significantly higher during the COVID period is 56%. However, the bottom-up pyramid was hardly 3%. In 22-23, actually the latest survey, the decline in the share of the top 20% is 10% this point, I mean 46%. However, gain by bottom is 6%. But the rest 7%, if you take whatever it is reduced in the high-income category, it is absorbed into the middle. Middle, you can say 60%. In one way, it is good in terms of what one can say is that it is a multiple, actually the intervention happened across the board by the government, by the state government, and even the larger object is creating the, you can say, conducive environment where the people are participating through various ways. So they start earning. So it is good for the economy.
0: What you're saying is that, Those who are disadvantaged, let's say this bottom 20% again, is that because there have been structural changes in the composition of jobs, incomes, and so on? Or is it more that because the impact of COVID was so much that it'll take longer for these people to come back, including, let's say, to come back from farms and so on? It is both,
1: actually, because during the COVID period, major loss was the Household industry sector, means particularly household sector. Those who are like maid, servant, are the drivers, are the supports. So they actually got the re-employment in the better way. Second thing is also because economy open and a lot of people have lost their income. So a lot of people start little bit selection according to the what they need actually. And third point is also in reverse migration is happening, which is a linkages between the urban and rural areas. Much much better than the COVID period, so it is more or less new normal phenomena, which is
0: Rajesh. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. That's it from me. Then have a great day ahead. That was the core report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core, you can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter for our exclusive stories, one in-depth feature a day on www.thecore.in. Do also track us on LinkedIn, where we usually post synopses or extracts of our top stories and interviews. We would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant, including, of course, India's vibrant manufacturing sector. So write to us at feedback@thecore.in at And thank you once again for listening.